Well, good morning, Summers Avenue. I am glad to be with y'all here this morning, glad to be back uh, at the church among people who have helped me develop in the formative years of my life throughout high school. I want to tell you about a time, uh, a long, long time ago when I was in college, uh, about six months ago approximately. Uh, about a time where I was in college, we had a group of guys that we would uh, have over at our apartment my senior year. We had spaghetti night every Tuesday. And so what spaghetti night was, we would have, uh, we would make different flavors of spaghetti each night and each Tuesday night. And so we had different people come over and we'd have a have a good time. And it was just a it was just an all guys things. And then there were a group of girls in the small group that we were part of. They were like, we want to be a part of that. We want an invitation to it as well. And so we started to slowly but surely add more people to spaghetti night. And uh, and I'm really proud of it, if you can't tell. And one of the things that spaghetti night, one of my highlights uh, looking back at it, was there was this uh, this guy who said, I don't really like spaghetti, but I came because of the fellowship, because of being together with y'all. Uh, he said, I don't really like spaghetti, but that spaghetti that y'all made is the best spaghetti that I've ever had in my life. And, uh, and so that's what spaghetti night was for us. And I knew about uh, some people that lived a few apartments down from us, this girl that I was uh, in, in one of my classes, and her and her friends, they would have spaghetti night so I kind of knew of this rival spaghetti night a few apartments down from us and she had invited me and some people over and so I went uh, because it was a kind gesture but also kind of trying to see how they did things over there kind of how the spaghetti was and so I went and we had their spaghetti and they had a lot of different things in it and it was a really good time being there with them I didn't know all the people there but I but you know you go to some places, maybe to a restaurant, to a family gathering, uh, and you kind of you kind of get some of the social cues. You kind of see who sits where and with who and what you talk about, and so that's what I found out there, and I also found out that in my spaghetti night, and I think that that's something. The, the way that we organize dinners and lunches, the way that we organize meals, the people we sit next to, the things that we talk about, that's something that we all can relate to. And in the Bible, Jesus, Jesus came into the world. Uh, he had a way of relating to people at the table. He had a way of having conversations with people. He had a, a very particular way of honoring people in their homes as he would eat with them, as he would dine with them. And so I, uh, I, I kind of thought, how do I kind of put a visual uh, for us for kind of seeing how it was to eat at a table, to be with Jesus, or just in the time of Jesus, that Jesus was in an honor-shame society, which means people of honor were respected very much, and uh, people of lesser honor were shamed to the outskirts of society. So I thought about, how could I do that? So um, I talked to one of uh, the shepherds here, uh, but he doesn't know I'm going to ask him to do this, but could, Brother Mike Penrod, could you come up here uh, to the stage, and I'm going to ask you to come sit in the seat of honor up here. If you can come sit in this seat right here, and then I have one of my roommates with me, uh, friends and, and roommates, Cade, and I'm going to ask Cade to come up here as well, if Cade could take a seat on this side, and then I've asked Kelson to come and take a seat on this other side over here. So, in in the Gospels, in the life and the story of Jesus, but Mike, if you can take this seat here, this is the seat of honor today, and then Kelson and Cade, if y'all can take the seats on the sides there. So Jesus is in an honor-shame society, which means when Jesus is at the table with people, when Jesus is dining with people, 
uh, he is in a culture where the person that's in the seat of honor, like Brother Mike is, that's the person that has the say. That's the person that has all the attention on them. And these people on the sides, these people further down the table, they don't have as much say. So, but Mike, what's one of your uh, favorite restaurants that you'd like to eat at? Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. Okay, that's a good restaurant, I think, all of us. For the purposes of this example, neither of y'all like Cracker Barrel. But since he's the guest of honor, in an honor-shame society, we're going to have Cracker Barrel. And so as Cracker Barrel, the biscuits and the rolls, I like the cornbread, all of that is on the table. You get the first pick. You eat that. You get your meal first, and then everybody else gets their meal after that. And so this is, this is the world that Jesus enters into. The person at the head of the table, the person with honor, is the person that sets the stage, is the person that gets the attention, is the person who, who says what goes and what doesn't go. And these people on the side, the people further down the table, are the ones that don't get a say. They just have to be, they're just glad that they're at the table. But actually, this isn't completely representative of the time that Jesus lived in, because Kelson wouldn't even be at the table. Women wouldn't be at the table. Children wouldn't be at the table. And Jesus enters the story in the Gospel of Luke at a table, which is why it's so scandalous when uh, this woman who anoints the uh, feet of Jesus comes in as Jesus is dining uh, with the other men, why it's scandalous when the story of Mary and Martha, where one is sitting at the feet of Jesus and one is serving, because this is not what you did. Kelson's not allowed at the table. And this is the, this is the world that Jesus entered into. So I want you to keep that image in your mind, and I'm going to ask them to go and take their seats. Thank you all for for being some uh, participants with us today. I want you to keep that image in mind about being at the table with people. So Jesus enters into the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus is setting culture codes. He's setting the way that people relate to each other. He's setting all of that on its head. He is, he is forming a new way of relating to people. When Jesus enters the stage into an honor-shame society, he was presenting a fresh and a new way of relating to people. He would eat with and seek out people and heal those who were the outskirts of society, the rejects, the prostitutes, the socially illiterate. And when people notice somebody who is subverting the system, somebody who's changing culture codes, they take notice, which is why in Luke 14 in the Passion Translation, we find Jesus at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And so here in Luke 14, the Passion Translation, this is what Jesus says. He says, it is better to invite those who never get an invitation. Invite the poor to your banquet, along with the outcasts, the handicapped, and the blind, those who can never repay you the favor. Then you will experience a great blessing in this life. And at the resurrection of the godly, you will receive a full reward. But Jesus was saying here in the the Gospel of Luke, if you want to experience the blessings of God, if you want to experience his blessings, invite those into your life, into your circle into your heart that are close to the heart of God, even if they can't pay you back. Maybe especially if they can't pay you back or invite you back to their stuff. And we know that everybody is close to the heart of God. Which is why we read this next in the text in verse 15, why it says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You are blessed. If you could get a seat at the table in the kingdom 
of God. And I imagine the chattering and the discussion that's going on and the thoughts that are going through the minds of the people as Jesus is at the prominent religious Pharisee at his house and he's telling them about what it's like to really be at a banquet, who you really need to surround yourself with, who you really need to invite into your life. And I could imagine what they're thinking, what's going through their head. Maybe they have a question like this. What is so special about being at the table with Jesus? What is so special about that? What is a word or a short phrase or image that first comes to your mind when thinking about being at the table with Jesus? I want you to take 10 seconds. What is the what is the word? What is a phrase? What is an image that first comes to your mind? I want you to take 10 seconds and turn to the person next to you and tell them that word or that phrase or that image that first comes to your mind when you think of sitting at the table with Jesus. And everybody has to participate. So go ahead, take 10 seconds, talk to the person next to you really quick. Ready? Go. So that's about eight seconds, but I'm going to cut you short. So I'm sure there's maybe a lot of things that come to mind when you think about being at the table with Jesus. One thing I think about is this has got to be a good feast that Jesus is at. It's got to be a, a good feast. Maybe we could compare it to something like um, eating good barbecue and fried chicken and watching a winning Arkansas Razorback football game. Maybe that's that's kind of what the, the scene can be compared to. Jesus is having table fellowship with all types of people, with the poor, the outcast, the handicapped, the prostitute, the unbeliever, and the skeptical. And they actually, all the people that are on the outskirts of society, they actually enjoy the table more than those who we think should enjoy the table. Shouldn't the religious people, the church people, people like us enjoy it when outsiders, those who seem to be far from the heart of God, come in contact with God? And I think it's at this moment where we need to pause and remind ourselves and affirm the truth that Jesus is God in some mysterious yet holy way. So it's important that we're really clear on this because when God comes to earth, And he shows us what God is really like. Jesus, who is God, comes on the scene. And so when we look at Jesus, we look at God. When we look at Jesus, we look at what is close to the heart of God. When we look at Jesus, we look at what upsets the heart of God. Which is why Jesus tells this parable in this story. If you go on here in Luke 14 and verse 16, this is what he says. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. And invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Come. Everything is now ready. I want to tell you something about a spaghetti night that we had at my apartment in Searcy uh, when I was in my undergrad up there in Searcy. Uh, I would have a few guys that would come over and cook before we would uh, have so can't really mess up spaghetti that much, I don't think. And we'd have spaghetti and garlic bread and all that type of stuff. But I would teach, I taught PE at a school across town. And so I would leave the key under the mat and they would come in and they would cook and it would be about ready. And I helped them, help them as I come back from teaching. And one day as I'm teaching, I get this phone call from one of the guys that's, uh, that's cooking. And I'm obviously in class, so I, I can't answer the phone. Uh, but I text him and say, hey, I'm te-, and he knows I'm teaching. I say, hey, I'm teaching. The key is under the mat. I don't know if they forgot that. And he, he texted me. I was looking back over this text last night. He texted me. He said, 
hey, the fire alarm is going off. Is it going to do anything? And I said, uh, and I'm teaching them. I, I'm thinking, okay, maybe the apartment will burn down. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. The alarm is going off. And I text him back. I said, I don't, I don't think so. I think it should be fine. And I don't get any response back. And so I have to teach the rest of the period, and then I go back to the apartment, and luckily everything is in place. The fire alarm is not going off, and the spaghetti is ready. And, uh, but I think about that alarm going off, like the danger that, that alarms that they, that they give us, that alarms alert us of things that are going on. They, they warn us of things. And in the text, as, as Jesus is talking about this parable, this is an alarm going off, but it's not an alarm of danger. It's not an alarm of warning. This is one of love. This is an alarm of invitation, alarm alerting good news. This alarm, this welcome is an invite. It is showing us what it's like to be invited into the kingdom of God, to be invited into a relationship with Jesus. And that would be all nice if that was all that this had to say. But we read on in the first part of verse 18. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. Even after they were given this great opportunity to sit at the banquet table with Jesus, they all alike began to make excuses. And all of us know what it's like to give excuses. Some of us have learned to become less prone to give excuses. And and some of us have a list of excuses on speed dial. And we have this list of excuses. And sometimes they're just hilarious. Maybe you've heard excuses like this. Sorry, I can't go to work tomorrow because I fractured my motivation. Maybe some of you would get that on the, your way home. Or for those of us who try on multiple outfits and who throw clothes around and you're trying to find the right thing to wear, you might say, uh, my room is not messy. It's an obstacle course to keep me fit. Maybe you've heard an excuse or made an excuse similar to that. Or to the person who loves desserts and says, I eat cake because it's, something, because it's somebody's birthday somewhere. So we justify and we have excuses. And those excuses are hilarious at times. And as Jesus is telling this story of this great banquet that he's inviting people to, he's telling, he's telling about excuses that would be as absurd as these excuses here, excuses that are laughable. And he's doing this because he wants to make a really clear point that your excuse has no weight. But as we all know, excuses are easier than making commitments. So listen to their excuses in the text. They would have been hilarious to the original hearers of Jesus. And this is what it says in the last part of verse 18 through verse 20. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Now let's say that part underlined together. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Let's say this together. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. So let's say this. I can't come. These excuses are valid, right? These excuses are valid. The first person's excuse was about a job. It was about a future. It was about maintenance. But he buys a field, and he doesn't check it out before he buys it. The early followers of Jesus, the first listeners of Jesus would have known this would have been absurd. You don't buy a field without going and checking on it. And the second excuse has to do um, with something about an animal, something about possession, something that is key to the survival of the people. Same thing as the first You buy these oxen, but yet you don't go try them out before you buy it. Jesus is talking to people, and they know this would have been an absurd excuse. And then the third excuse is about marriage. It's about family. Why couldn't the person bring their spouse or their in-laws? 
or the family to the banquet. And this is what Jesus is getting at in the parable of the great banquet. This is what Jesus is speaking to, to the religious people of his day and to those of us in the room this morning, the religious people here. We all have excuses, and some of them may be really valid. Some of our excuses of not taking up Jesus on the invitation may be really valid, but there is a banquet. There is a lifestyle that is worthy of all of our devotion. And in comparison to that invitation, no excuse holds any weight. I mean, think about it. If, if you were given an invitation to go and ha- have dinner with a king or a queen, or if you were given the invitation to uh, have your favorite home-cooked meal with your closest and your favorite people, you would do anything to take up that invitation. We will rearrange our calendars, we'll cancel meetings, get up early, stay up late, work at odd hours. We will do whatever it takes to make it happen, except when it comes to following Jesus. And I find that really weird. I find that really unusual. What's the excuse today to not come to the table with Jesus? Maybe you have the excuse of when I finally get financially stable or when I finally get married or when I finally pay off the student loans and the kids get through college and get my head above water, maybe then I'll take Jesus up on the invitation. Or maybe for you it's when I finally meet the right person or close the deal or move into the right house with the right neighbors, with the right job, then I'll take up the opportunity to come and dine with Jesus. But this is something, this is something I constantly have to remind myself and we as the body of Christ, we have to remind ourselves of this, is that today is the day. This is the invitation Jesus is offering us to come and to dine with him because Jesus is the best option. Jesus is the only sustaining option, and Jesus is worth it. So I want to ask us a question. Is what we might gain with Jesus worth more than what we might lose is what we might gain with Jesus, coming to the table with Jesus and dining with Jesus and being a part of his kingdom and his family, is what we might gain with him worth more than what we might lose? If this table the G- were the table that Jesus was inviting us into this morning, would we take him up on his invitation or would we leave him hanging dry? In this parable, would be a hard parable enough if it just stopped at this moment here of us taking up Jesus on the opportunity to come and to dine with him. It would be a tough and convicting word, but Jesus has more to say. He says this, the servant came back in verse 21 and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir. The servant said, what you ordered has been done. And if you go to the next slide, let's say this part together. But there is still room. Let's say that again. But there is still room. If you go to the next slide. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet because there is still room. So where I live at now, we don't have spaghetti night where I live at now. We do have a thing called family dinner. We've expanded beyond spaghetti. We have other foods uh, that, that we have. And so we have different people each week. And we get these paper plates. Maybe you have paper plates in your home. Um, I just call them, I guess, regular size uh, paper plates. But recently, one of my roommates, and I'm not going to name any names, uh, one of my roommates got some bigger paper plates than we normally have. 
And I remember um, I've been heating up things, been cooking stuff, and putting things on those paper plates. Um, but it's way bigger than the plates that we once had. And so we were talking the other day. I was like, there's, there's still room on this plate to put a little bit more food, to put an uh, extra piece of ham, to put some more chips on this plate, because the plate is so big. It's so much bigger than what we are used to. And at the banquet table of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is way bigger than we think it is. There is more room in the kingdom of God than we think there is. And so Jesus, as he's talking about and telling this parable, he's going back to where we started in Luke 14, talking about the people that we invite to our banquets, the people that we invite into our lives. He's, he's going back to that, and he's saying, you need to invite those who are on the outskirts of society, those who normally wouldn't be welcome at the table. He's talking about inviting those people, and it forces all of us church people this morning to ask ourselves a really important question. It forces us to claim to be the church of Christ because you have to know the church of Christ means that we are the people of Christ who model our lives after Christ. It forces us to ask the question, who do we invite into our lives? Or maybe we ask a different type of question. Who do we not invite into our lives? Who isn't welcome at our table? What if ordinary living, what if ordinary eating is not what we were created for? What if we were created for something more extravagant, more self-giving and life-fulfilling? What if we were meant to model God with our table fellowship? For we do, in fact, bear the image of this inviting and loving God, the image of Jesus. So the longer I look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, the longer I look at what Jesus was about and what he is still about in the church, the more I'm convicted of a lot of things. And one of the things that I am recently have been more and more convicted of is this, that Jesus is more inclusive than we're comfortable with, and he is more exclusive than we're comfortable with. We like to put things in boxes. We like to label who's in and out. He's more inclusive than we're comfortable with, and he's more exclusive than we're comfortable with. Jesus, the inclusive nature of Jesus. Jesus is inviting tax collectors, those who are, are normally the ones that are stealing and robbing people of their money. So he's inviting tax collectors and prostitutes, and he's eating with them at the table. He's inviting people who are doubting and those who believe differently. He's inviting those who are going through questions of their sexuality. He's inviting people on the different ends of the political spectrum and the theological spectrum. Jesus is inviting the poor and the disenfranchised, the women and the children. He's inviting all of them to come to the table and to be with him. He's more inclusive than we're comfortable with. But he's also more exclusive than we're comfortable with because he calls everybody to a high standard of discipleship. He says you have got to love God more than money, more than even your family, if they come in, con- come in conflict with your relationship with me. Jesus is more exclusive. He's telling us we have to love our neighbors and our enemies and foreigners alike. He says that I am the only way that's pretty exclusive, if you would ask me. He said, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself and follow me. Deny your lust, your unhealthy and unholy sexual urges. Deny your lust for power, for selfish ambition and selfish gain. He says, deny your sexism, your racism, and any other type of ism that would deny the fact that somebody else is made in the image of God. Jesus is more exclusive than we're comfortable with. Jesus says, deny your anger and your arrogance. And he calls all of us to this high standard of discipleship. And so, how are we doing with the call of discipleship? Growing up, I uh, 
hated the show Fixer Upper on HGTV. Maybe you've seen the show Fixer Upper. I hated it. But the older I've gotten, I love it. Chip and Joanna Gaines and their family, they do a lot. And as the show, the title of it, Fixer Upper, they fix up these homes. They, they have a, a couple uh, who goes in and gets a place, and they have a, a budget that they have, and so they have to count the cost of if these renovations are going to happen. Do we have the money in our budget to make it happen? So there has to be a very real moment where you stop. You get out the pen and paper or you get out the spreadsheet and you count the cost. of What it's going to be like if I want a house like Chip and Joanna can give me. Just like it is when we follow Jesus. Later on in Luke 14, Jesus says, if you follow me, you have to count the cost of discipleship. You have to count the cost of what it's going to be like to give your life to me, what it's going to be like to be a follower of me. Counting the cost of discipleship. Oftentimes, people talk about uh, why young people are leaving the church, why young people are leaving faith. And there are a lot of reasons, a lot of answers for that. And occasionally, people will ask me why young people are leaving the faith. Uh, and there's a lot of things, I think, that, that play into that. Maybe they feel like nobody is really listening to their questions or walking with them or valuing their voice. Or maybe it seems like that uh, the scriptures aren't as relevant or there's not as much Jesus-centered conversations or grace for their mistakes. Maybe there's a lot of reasons. But I think that um, there's this author there like Shane Claiborne. I think he says it really well. If you can pull up this next quote, he says this. The truth is, if we lose a generation in the church, it won't be because we didn't entertain them, but because we didn't dare them and challenge them to really take Jesus seriously in light of the world we live in. And I think that's a challenge for all of us, no matter what your age is, is to really take Jesus seriously. That if we lose people more and more to the faith. It won't be because we didn't entertain them. It would be because we didn't challenge us to live up to the nature and to the call of discipleship. And so, church, let me challenge us this morning. Let me challenge us. This empty chair right here, I want to ask us, who isn't welcome at our tables? Who isn't welcome in our lives? Who isn't welcome on our prayer list? Who isn't worthy of their name to be in this seat? Who isn't worthy to be on our prayer list? Who isn't worthy to be a person that we have conversations with? What is their hang-up? What is their sin? What is their hurt? What is their confusion? Who isn't worthy to sit at this seat in our lives? What is their name? I want to ask us, what amount of hatred or indifference our arrogance is preventing us from inviting others in. Is it that neighbor or that other mom or that person at the end of the table or that person at the corner of the street? Who is it that isn't worthy to sit at this seat in our lives? You know, this is a time of Thanksgiving, and uh, a lot of people have different emotions about Thanksgiving and holidays, and, and rightly so. Uh, but one of the things that we celebrate at the time of Thanksgiving, among a lot of other things, is the fact that God, through Jesus, has brought us in. God, through Jesus, has set us in this seat, and he has pulled us up to the table. And God, through Jesus, has brought us in. And because of that, because of that, we invite all others in. I love the way that Debbie Thomas puts it. She says this, Jesus asks us to believe that our behavior at the table matters, because it does. 
Where we sit speaks volumes, and the people whom we choose to welcome reveals the stuff of our souls. This is God's world we live in. Nothing here is ordinary. In this realm, the strangers at our doorstep are the angels. And so the message of Jesus calls us to think about the people in our lives who aren't worthy, who we think aren't worthy, to sit at our table, to think about their name, to meditate on that for a little bit to think about why they aren't worthy to be in our lives. Because at the table of Jesus, there is more room. In our homes and on our jobs and our hearts and in our cars and at our tables, there is more room. In the kingdom of God, at the banquet table of Jesus, there is more room to the one who thinks they have gone too far for the grace of God to cover them. I want to tell you this morning, come home, because in the kingdom of God, at the banquet table of Jesus, there is more room to the person who had the abortion or went through the divorce. That does not have to define you. Because in the kingdom of God, at the banquet table of Jesus, there is more room. To the guy or girl who thinks they've messed up and they don't think that their family will ever understand or welcome them in if they knew the truth, I want to tell you, welcome to the family of God. Because in the kingdom of God, at the banquet table of Jesus, there is more room to the skeptic who finds it hard to believe in a God and a good God in the face of so much evil and injustice in the world. I want to tell you to bring your questions to God and let him comfort you, because in the kingdom of God, at the banquet table of Jesus, there is more room to the seasoned Christian who often finds herself doubting if she has done enough to the shaky Christian who constantly wonders If the love of God is as good as advertised, I want to tell you to lean on Jesus because in the kingdom of God, at the banquet table of Jesus, there is more room because Christ has made room for us. Praise the Lord. Christ has made room for us. And so let's make room for others, for all others, because Christ made room for us. Make room for the outcast, for the stranger, for the poor among you, because Christ made room for you. Make room for the person on the other side of the political spectrum or the theological spectrum because Christ made room for you. Make room for the doubters, the faithful, the confident, the arrogant, and the confused because Christ made room for you. There is more room, Summers Avenue. There is more room in the kingdom of God. So the challenge this week is twofold. The first is this, the question Will you take Jesus up on his invitation to live a life with and for him? Will you take him up this week? And the second question is this. Who will I make room for in my life this week? What is their name? What is their hang-up? What is their confusion? Who will we as a church make room for this week in our lives? And the invitation this morning is to come the banquet table of Jesus. The invitation this morning is to lean in to the invitation of Jesus to come into the kingdom of God, to sit with him, to dine with him. So maybe this morning you need to come and be baptized. We'd love to do that this morning. Maybe you need to repent this morning of the sins, of the, of the things that you've thought about people who have been far from God, the things that you may have said or tweeted or put on Facebook. Maybe you need to come and publicly repent of that this morning because even for you, there is more room at the table Jesus. So let's stand and let's sing this invitation song.